What's going on, everybody, and welcome into the Locked On Reds podcast. Thank you so much for finding me today. If this is your first time finding the show, first off, thank you. And thank you for making us your first listen each and every day. If this is your first time, like I just mentioned, make sure that you're subscribed right here on the YouTube channel and make sure you're following me on your favorite podcasting app. Locked On Reds is free and available everywhere. You're not going to have to pay, and it's available literally everywhere you can get your podcast today. We're going to talk about Kyle Farmer. I want to talk about the Reds shortstop position that Kyle Farmer saved, but I also want to talk about perception, point of view, when it comes to Kyle Farmer and why those things are important. I also got a what if for you. Just finished watching the series finale of what if or season finale. I don't know if they're going to do another season for it on Disney Plus, but uh, got me thinking about a player that the Reds were targeting in the offseason but did not get want to kind of play a little what if with him. And I want to talk about the ALDS that's beginning tonight between the White Sox and the Astros. And then you've also got the Rays and the Red Sox coming up in the final segment of today's podcast. Thank you so much for finding us. Whenever you are done listening to today's podcast, I urge you go check out the Lockdown MLB podcast as Sully gets you ready for all things playoffs. And he's breaking down all the action. On the Locked On MLB podcast, just like Locked On Reds, it's free and available everywhere you get your podcast. All right, let's get started. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yesterday, we got the chance to talk about Joey Votto, and and we're setting up the checklist for the Reds' front office this season, whether it's, you know, what they should do, what they shouldn't do, things like that. They have a lot to do. Today, we're going to take a break from that. I just want to talk about Kyle Farmer, the shortstop position, and a couple of uh, interesting things, a what-if and a take on the playoffs as well. We're going to start, though with the man that I mentioned, Kyle Farmer. 2021 was an amazing year for him personally. Obviously, his career best year when it comes to games played, homers, hits, all that good stuff. It was an amazing season for him. And when you look at the way that the season broke down, there's a couple of ways you can look at it. Firstly, like I like to do, I'm an optimist. I love the Reds, and I'm an optimistic fan when it comes to baseball. Obviously, if you're a Reds fan, you got to be optimistic. By the way, I haven't even mentioned, I'm Jeff Carr. If this is the first time you're watching and listening to the podcast, but like I said, optimism. So we'll start with the positives. Obviously, the month of July. When you break down his monthly splits, the month of July stands out like a sore thumb in a good way. Stands out like... You know, whenever you open up a box of uh, Lucky Charms and you've got like that one marshmallow that somehow got stuck to two or three other marshmallows, so you got this big old cluster. By the way, if you've never seen that before, then maybe I'm just really lucky when it comes to Lucky Charms. But yeah, you just get really excited about that on your spoon. Kyle Farmer's month of July was fantastic. OPS-wise, it was double or almost double pretty much every other month. Now, the last month of the season, September, was actually pretty good too. He had an OPS over 800. But in the month of July, an 1,100 OPS. Just absolutely phenomenal. And I love that Baseball Reference does this. You can look at the numbers that he had that month and average it out to a 162-game season. And we're talking MVP numbers with the 
numbers that he put up just in the month of July and if you kind of extrapolate that out to a 162 game season phenomenal year that really that month was just a culmination of everything that he had brought to the table for the Reds and you also talk about fielding Early on in the season, the Reds decided that uh, they'd go for a Eugenio Suarez at shortstop. And even before that, so uh, I, I didn't preface this correctly when I'm talking about Kyle Farmer at shortstop. Think of what the Reds said last offseason. Last offseason, we knew they needed bullpen help and they needed a shortstop. And really, they only committed to one of those things. They said, we're going to get a shortstop. We're going to improve the shortstop position. It's going to be a focal point for us. It's going to be a thing that we focus on, a thing that we do. They didn't do anything. They did literally nothing. Now, reports were they were in on different players. They were offering contracts to the different free agent shortstops that were going to move the needle and they just didn't offer the correct contracts. Now, we will never know what the contracts were that they offered, but here we are. They didn't have a shortstop, and a Eugenio Suarez stepped in and immediately showed why they moved him to third base. Now, don't get me wrong. I was excited at the time. I thought a Eugenio Suarez at shortstop made sense, and the results were not good. The results were terrible. He could not field to save his life. He had a outs above average of negative 12 at shortstop. Absolutely phenomenally terribly. Just bad performance all around for him. Then Kyle Farmer stepped in and he saved the day, especially defensively. He had plus five. So Eugenio Suarez way negative. Kyle Farmer positive five outs above average at the shortstop position. And that is the best so far as that metric goes for the Reds team. He was the best fielder, according to outs above average. When it comes to fielding statistics, and just a brief uh, sidebar here when it comes to fielding statistics, there are still people who quote you know fielding percentage and errors and all this other stuff. Here's the problem with that. Official scorers, people sitting up in the booth watching the game, decide whether something is an error or a hit. I don't like that, and I'm not really going to use those statistics. I There are some times where an error is egregious, but then there are also times where a guy should have got an error, and he wasn't given an error because, well, he had a long way to go or something like that. He might have been out of position to begin with. I, there's lots of variables in there that make me just cringe whenever people are talking about fielding percentage and errors and things like that. Because simply put, fielding percentage is your uh, attempts minus er yeah, your attempts minus errors or something like that. Basically, errors for attempt errors divided by attempts or whatever. It's not worth your time worrying about fielding percentage. Promise you that. Outs above average is a little bit better because it factors in where a fielder starts and where a fielder ends up. And it's talking about, you know, the success rate of that fielder. Kyle Farmer was pretty darn good at that. Plus five is a good number in the outs above average category. So he was a good fielder. And Cowboy put it perfectly on one of the final broadcasts of the season is that if Kyle Farmer got to a ball, he got a guy out period. He didn't make bad throws. He didn't have problems with the transition from glove to throwing hand. Something Gino seemed to have a really huge problem at whenever he played shortstop. And just things like that. Like Kyle Farmer was fundamentally sound. 
and he was pretty good in the field. And one other thing that I don't think got mentioned quite enough was the fact that Kyle Farmer was pretty strong in the batter's box whenever there were runners on base. Whenever anybody was on base at all, he had a 272 batting average. Again, he only hit like 260-something on the year, so he kind of stepped up his game a little bit. But when runners got in scoring position, he stepped it up even further. He hit 292 with runners in scoring position. So you love to see the fact that Obviously, amazing month of July, pretty good fielder, and decent with runners on scoring position, or runners on base and runners in scoring position. Pretty good stuff there. And you'd like to see the slugging percentage overall kind of tick up with runners on base. There's a lot of singles, a lot of well-placed hits that really didn't go crazy. I mean, he had 40-something RBIs with runners in scoring position, which is nice, but I, I think that overall he was a pretty solid hitter with runners in scoring position. Here's the thing about Kyle Farmer, and we've talked a lot about the good. Let's kind of put this into perspective. During the rest of the year, in months not named July, he had a total OPS of 669. That's on base plus slugging. That's not great. In fact, slugging percentage was one of the things that he had the biggest issue with. He was a solid singles hitter, but if you look at StatCast and Baseball Savant, it says that he really didn't barrel things up very well. He did not have a high, in fact, he had a pretty low average exit velocity on his balls that he put into play. Not something that he was known for. Again, he set a career high in home runs. He hit 16. That's nice. That's not going to really set him apart from Jose Barrero, which, which is what we're really talking about here. Jose Barrero is the shortstop of the future, and I don't think that should change. We'll talk about that in just a moment here. But again, you'd like to see a higher on-base percentage overall. When it comes to his profile at the plate, he didn't strike out a ton, which was nice, but he also didn't walk much either. He wasn't getting on base at the clip that you would like to see a dude who hit a little bit lower in the order like that. And he got moved around, and especially because the month of July happened, after that month of July, he was really hitting more toward the top of the order for a while there, especially when you had injuries to key players like Vado and Castellanos and guys like that which I think Vado's injury was earlier than that, but whatever. When Castellanos was out, they kind of relied on Kyle Farmer to really help carry them at the top of the order, along with Tyler Naquin in the absence of Castellanos. Still, the thing is, perception is key. When I look at Kyle Farmer, when the Reds decided that they didn't want to have a shortstop, they failed to address that need despite saying that was their only focus of the offseason, Kyle Farmer stepped in and filled a gaping hole. And he did a pretty solid, pretty okay job of doing it. There are people out there who are now calling for him to be the opening day shortstop next year. That is where I lose you. That is where I bow out of this conversation because I don't believe that's the case. I believe that he will be a valuable utility player for the Reds once more next year because I believe it's Jose Barrero's time to take over at shortstop. He's more talented. He's got a much higher ceiling. Ask yourself this. Kyle Farmer had a nice year. Yes, he did. If you are a person who believes that Kyle Farmer should be the opening day shortstop of 2022, ask yourself this. Is it getting any better than 2021 for Kyle Farmer? I think we kind of know what he is in his career. 
He's not a guy that's got that next gear. I think that he is a very solid member of the Cincinnati Reds team, and I want him on the roster next year, but I want him as that super utility guy, a guy who can fill in and plug a hole for a dude who needs an off day. He can play pretty much any position, literally. I think he's even pitched a couple of times in his career. He can play everywhere. I don't look at him as the everyday shortstop, and I think that that should be the mantra moving forward. With Kyle Farmer. All right, we spent a lot of time talking about Kyle Farmer. I got a couple of minutes that I want to spend on a what if scenario regarding the shortstop position here in just a minute. Before we talk about that, though, I want to tell you about rockauto.com because they've got all the parts that your car will ever need. And they are a website that has an easy to use interface to help you find that. Go to rockauto.com today and you can find auto parts for whether you've got a Honda Civic that's like brand new or you've got like a old Chevelle from the 60s or something. Check them out today at rockauto.com. And if you're looking for a brake pad, brake light, maybe you're looking for a turn signal, maybe you're looking for new upholstery for your seats, rockauto.com has you covered and you can tell them that locked on sent you when you're in the checkout section in the house, you hear about us area rockauto.com has been family owned for over 20 years and helping people out all over the country. Because what happens is when you order your part, they deliver it right to your door. There's no worrying about going down the street, going to the store, worrying about getting ripped off. Rock auto has reliably low prices on all of their parts. And it's not like they're trying to tear it, whether you're a professional mechanic or you're just an average Joe. Go to rockauto.com today. Find the part for your car because they've got all the parts for your car. And in the checkout section in the How'd You Hear About Us area, type in Locked On. Rockauto.com has all of the parts that your car will ever need. All right, so I got a little fun. So uh, I finished uh, this first season. I'm guessing it's a season. I don't know if the season, series, whatever, of Marvel's What If. And I know the whole premise of it might confuse some people. I'm, I'm a huge Marvel guy. I love Marvel, Star Wars, all that different stuff. But when it comes to the What If shows, a lot of it just had to do with the fact that there's this dude who can go between all realities and he can see every single eventual. So like whenever you make a decision, maybe there's a another universe where you make a different decision and everything is different. Everything changes. So there's, there's all these cool stories because of that, because yeah, Marvel just loves to do all kind of crazy stuff. So let's do a little baseball. What if I am the watcher? I see all the vast realities. I see back in December of 2020, the Cincinnati Reds made a deal and signed Marcus Simeon. Instead of one year's 18 million, one year, $18 million to go to Toronto, Marcus Simeon signed that deal to be a Cincinnati Red. And they plugged him in the shortstop position. Now, in 2021, he was a very good defender at second base, but with the continuing growth of Jonathan India and his just amazing prowess at second base, they decided that Simeon would stay at shortstop. He wasn't as good a fielder as he was in second base for Toronto in that other alternate timeline, but he still hit just as well. 42 home runs and 102 RBIs, that topped the Cincinnati Reds. Again, I know I'm not going to do that the whole segment, but think about this. 
I know that not everything is equal, and maybe if they sign Simeon, they put him in second base, and Jonathan India doesn't happen. There's lots of what-ifs to consider. For a moment, let's just put him on this team. Let's replace Kyle Farmer in the everyday lineup with Marcus Simeon. Kyle Farmer can still be on the bench and all that stuff, but Marcus Simeon is the everyday shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds. Instead of a guy who had one good month and a kind of below average rest of the season, you're talking about one of the best hitters on this team. The most homers, the most doubles, the most RBIs. He had 39 doubles, including 42 home runs and 102 RBIs, which the 102, that wouldn't have been like miles better than Nick Castellanos, but it still would have been more. Plus, you look at the fact that he was an amazing fielder and an amazing runner on the base paths, something that the Reds really didn't have all that much. I mean, Jonathan India kind of started to grow into his base running uh, prowess at the end of the year, but Marcus Simeon's been doing this for a while. He knows what he's he knows what he's capable of. Plus, and I don't know how much you put into this, but according to Fangraphs, Fangraphs does these calculations to turn a player's performance into a monetary value because guys get contracts, guys get money. So they wanted to see how much is a player worth in a given year. According to Fangraphs calculations, Marcus Simeon was worth $53 million this season. Now you can go on there and see all the crazy numbers that they have for Joey Votto, and you can see why his contract makes absolute total sense for the Reds, even though it seems kind of weird for the Reds to give a 10-year contract. Conversely, Marcus Simeon got one year $18 million. Whenever he was signed, there were some people that maybe poo-pooed that a little bit. I thought maybe it was a little expensive, but it's not like I care that much. I just want the Reds to win. I don't care how much they spend to do it. So why do I care how much Marcus Simeon is getting paid by another team? But one year's $18 million makes $53 million look like a bargain when they only paid eighteen. He was phenomenal for them. He even hit a couple of walk-off home runs in big – like he had one in August and one in September. That would have been nice to have. And he was pretty solid against left-handed pitchers as well. Not amazing, but he was solid. Nobody on the Reds was really solid against left-handed pitching this year. So that would have been nice to have as well. But I look at Marcus Simeon and I say, boy, what a missed opportunity because there were so many reports of the Reds being in on contract negotiations with him. And so you kind of look back and you think, all right, they didn't miss Angelton Simmons at all because he couldn't hit. They didn't miss Didi Gregorius at all because he couldn't stay healthy. But boy, oh boy, they missed Marcus Simeon. And in the what-if universe where the watcher sees Marcus Simeon on the Reds, I believe that means that the Reds are in the playoffs. I think that Marcus Simeon could have been that difference. Now, it's easy to say because, well, there's no way to prove it because it's never going to happen because you can't go back in time. But because we don't live in the Marvel Universe. But it just, it's interesting to note because they talk about being a competitive team and they talk about wanting to field a competitive team. You got to pay money to do that. And if they're going to sit there and say, we are only going to be competitive if it makes financial sense, then that's the most annoying thing in the world because $18 million is only a couple of dollars, a couple of million more than what they saved total by cutting. Archie Bradley, and basically cutting Rysel Iglesias. They traded him, but they didn't really get anything back. So I look at that and I say, hmm, money could have went there. I don't know. 
Marcus Simeon, though, an amazing... He's going to get MVP votes. He's not going to win it because Shohei Otani is going to win it for the American League, but he's going to get votes because he was one of the biggest reasons... Him and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., obviously, were the two biggest reasons why Toronto was as close as they were to making the playoffs, and it would have been fun to watch that. But Marcus Simeon, a little bit of Marcus Simeon, what if the Reds' shortstop position could have been so much better? And who knows? I mean, maybe the Reds offered them like 14, um, offered Simeon 14 or 15 million or something like that. Maybe it was close. Maybe it wasn't even anywhere near close because there were a lot of people in the offseason that were saying, what is Marcus Simeon? Is he the 2019 version that we saw or is he something different? Is he more closer to the 2020 version? Turns out he was a lot closer to 2019 than he was to 2020. And he totally would have been worth uh, $18 million had the Reds sprung for that. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about this ALDS that actually is going on. White Sox and Astros, Rays and Red Sox. Even got a brand new clip to show you from a brand new Locked On podcast. We've got Locked On now, but we also have Locked On insiders. Gordon Beckham is an MLB insider for the Lockdown Podcast Network, and he breaks down this series. I'll give you his prediction in a minute, and I'll react to it as well coming up in just a moment. Before we talk about that, though, uh, we got betonline.ag. Betonline.ag, promo code LOCKDOWN. You'll get 100% more on your initial deposit. Welcome bonus. Oh, yeah. Go make some money off your sports knowledge today at betonline.ag, the only online sports book that I trust and I've been telling you for a couple of days, you can still get this series price plus 105 for the White Sox to beat the Astros. In fact, they now have odds for World Series teams up there as well. I'll give you that as well. I'm picking the Brewers. I'm picking the Brewers to win the World Series, and you can get them at plus 800 right now. I think that the Brewers are going to win the World Series. I'm taking plus 800 for the Brewers to win it, and I'm taking the White Sox to win this. I'm actually taking the White Sox to win the AL pennant. I think that might be a little bit risky because the Rays are really good, but I I, I don't know. Like I, I, I keep going back and forth. I think I said the Rays on the MLB playoff preview, and I probably should have wrote that down because I think I've forgotten it, but it's the Rays or the White Sox. I don't. Never mind, that's not a tip. Anyway, go to betonline.ag, set up your profile today, use the promo code LOCKDOWN to get 100% more on your initial deposit, and the two locks that I'm telling you for the playoffs, White Sox over the Astros plus 105 in the series, and I've got Brewers winning the World Series plus 800. Go get it today. Betonline.ag, promo code LOCKDOWN for 100% welcome bonus. And speaking of the playoffs, let's talk about this ALDS because it's starting tonight. You've got, again, White Sox, Astros, and then later on past 8 o'clock is going to be Red Sox, Rays. Look, Red Sox beat the Yankees in the wild card game. That's nice. I don't. There's not really a lot that I look at, and I think that the Red Sox can win this series. I think the Rays win this one going away. Maybe not a sweep. I'm, I'm thinking it's either three or four games. I don't think it's going five. I think that we've got the Rays in probably a gentleman's sweep because maybe the Red Sox get on them for one game, but the Rays are managed by probably the best manager in all of baseball. Kevin Cash is phenomenal. I heard this stat the other day, and I'm just going to love this the entire playoffs. The Rays used 38 different pitchers this year. 38. And they were the best team in the American League. I want to say like that's numbers approaching like 2016, 17, 18, 19 Reds whenever they didn't know 
who they wanted to pitch on a daily basis. The Rays were like, hey, we've got all these guys, and Kevin Cash is like, I know what to do with them. Love Kevin Cash, love the Rays, and I think that they win that one going away. When I look at the White Sox and Astros, though, the Astros are considered the favorites. And I find that interesting, and so did Gordon Beckham, of which I'll play you a little bit of clips. So you can find these. Uh, they're the Locked On Now podcast. Look up Locked On Insiders. Gordon Beckham breaks down each playoff DS that we've got going on, each division series. And here's a clip from the White Sox and Astros one. Yeah, I think it's uh, – I got to go with my uh, – my the team that drafted me and, and the White Sox. I'm going to go – I'm going to go the White Sox in four. I think they're going to come out and they're going to split uh, in Houston and get uh, – and then win two back at guaranteed rate in Chicago. So that's uh, that's my, my hope. I don't know. We'll see. He talks about the reasons for that whenever he breaks it down in the full podcast. They're only about five minutes, so it's not a huge time crunch, but you get lots of info, and they're from former – Chicago White Sox, Gordon Beckham, but he talks about as Tim Anderson goes, so does the White Sox, and I'm with him. Now, they also have a couple of really important hitters in that lineup, too, like Yasmani Grandal and Jose Abreu, and and hopefully Aloy Jimenez, which I did see on the playoff roster, Billy Hamilton made it. Billy Hamilton has a shot at some postseason success hoping that he can come up big for them when they need him to. Again, I'm thinking he's probably only going to be what we all thought he could be at the end of his tenure with the Reds, which is a late inning defensive replacement slash pinch runner who can get you that run. Like you get, I don't know, you get Yasmani Grandal with a walk in the top of the ninth inning with nobody out. You pinch run Billy Hamilton. You've got a real shot at a run right there. That's, that's some good stuff. So I'm looking forward to this series. I agree with him. I think that the White Sox win in four as well. I just think they've got a better all-around team. The Astros have some guys on there, but nobody that I'm really thinking is like that amazing. And I'm sure that you know the Lockdown Astros guys have different thoughts on that. But when I look at this series, and I know that in that podcast, they talk about, well, there's a lot of people rooting for the White Sox because they hate the Astros still. They still think they're a bunch of cheaters. I don't care about all that. I'm, I'm done with all that. That's in the past. I just think the White Sox are a better team. And I think that at plus 105 to win this series, to win the ALDS, White Sox over Astros in the series, plus 105, it's a value. And I'm taking that. I think that the White Sox win this one in four, just like Gordon Beckham said. All right, that's going to do it here for the podcast today. Thank you so much for watching and for listening. If you're uh, not subscribed on the YouTube channel, make sure that you do that and make sure you're following me on your favorite podcasting app. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and follow the show at Lockdown Reds. But that's going to do it for us here today. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the NLDS and I've got some thoughts. We're going to start unpacking because this is going to be a scenario we talk about quite a bit this offseason, but I want to talk about third base. I want to talk about Eugenio Suarez and Mike Moustakis and what on earth the Reds should do this offseason. That's on tomorrow's Locked On Reds podcast. Thanks for making it your first listen today. Also, now go check out the Locked On MLB podcast. Sully's got you covered on all things MLB playoffs. That's Locked On MLB. Just like Locked On Reds, we're free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.